Let's pray. By one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Our great God, we thank you for that amazing promise of what Jesus has done in dying for us and being raised to new life. Please help us to understand something more of your plans and purposes that you've given to us in the Bible and how they find their fulfilment in Jesus. So help us to see something more of you, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I was uh, recently standing down at Barangaroo uh, at the new towers down there, looking back between two big towers, looking back at the perfectly curated view of Darling Harbour. And uh, it struck me, uh, these beautiful buildings in a beautiful harbour and a beautiful city with beautiful people going back and forth from work and cafes and restaurants and retail stores. It was a picture, I thought, of human uh, progress and achievement. It was a picture of beauty. It was a picture of creativity. It was a picture of industry. It was a picture of progress and and uh, prosperity. It was a picture of purpose and meaning as people went about their business in the city. And uh, as I stood there, it struck me that this kind of tunnel that these two buildings create meant that I couldn't see past them. As I stood there, this is all that there is. This is all that I can see. And I wonder if that's a little bit of a parable about the, the work that we go about in this world, the lives that we live, the things that we build, the meaning that we create, the relationships that we have. All these things that can be good and and right in and of themselves, but can in our own sinful minds and behaviour kind of distort the horizon. They can block our view so that we don't see clearly where they all fit in God's plans and purposes, the God who made us and who loves us and whose world this is. And so if that's the case, if we start to go about our business and our creativity, our building, our creating, our our living, our relationships, without the view to the God who made us and who loves us, then we can start to think that this is all that there is and that I create my own meaning and my own morality, that I create my own purpose and my own prosperity, I need to create my own security. I need to create my own permanence. I need to protect myself and my relationships and the things that I have. And when we do that in isolation to the God who made us and who loves us, Genesis tells us that that's a recipe for disaster. That's how we end up in a world that's so broken and distorted where the selfishness of our own heart starts to rule instead of the loving kindness of God ruling our lives and our loves. Genesis chapter 11, I think, helps us to see because to see what goes wrong when people want to build permanence and protection and provision for themselves in their own strength relying on their own achievement and their own uh, ingenuity and their own creativity, to displace God from the, the throne of our lives, to displace God from his position as the supreme ruler of this world and our lives. Sin 
can distort our thinking when it comes to life in this world. We've seen that week after week, haven't we? The way that humanity in rebellion against God, separated from him, starts to distort our lives and this world and our view of God and ultimately be cut off from all that is good and uh, beautiful and true. But these first chapters of Genesis have also reminded us, haven't they, that even as humanity distances themselves from God, even as we live in isolation from him, in rebellion against him, that the God who made us and who loves us doesn't give up. He doesn't give up on his world. He doesn't give up on his plans and purposes. He doesn't stop pouring out his grace and his kindness towards humanity. And that he will achieve his plans and purposes to be known and to, and to be known by and to know the people of this world. And so Genesis 10 and 11, they give us this reminder again today that God is the architect, that he is the builder. The human project is his design. The permanence and the purpose and the provision and the protection that we all crave in our hearts and we seek to build in our lives, well, they can only come as a gift of his grace. They can't ultimately come as, as uh, products of our own achievement. As the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, for, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we look for the city that is to come. We look for the city that is to come, the permanence, the protection, the provision of God, the city that God is building rather than those things being of our own achievement. Uh, Last week we saw at the end of the Noah story that God, uh, his commitment to his people and to his purposes uh, is re-established. He goes about the project of creation 2.0 at the end of the Noah story and he says to Noah and his family, beginning again with humanity, He says, go and be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That's the mandate that he gives to humanity. And as we get into chapter 10, we see that 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 part of that is fulfilled. That from the family of Noah, all the nations of the earth kind of expand into into the known world. And so we've got uh, what we didn't read in chapter 10 is the table of nations. It's this very intricately put together list of nations and people groups. And again, it's very symbolic in the way that it's put together in in groups of 10 and numbers 70, meant to be showing us this number of perfection, of completion. These are all the nations of the world, reminding us that every nation on the planet comes from God, relies on God is part of his one human project with the same purpose, with the same creator, right? That where we see racism and where we see division, where we see inequality, 
where we see different worldviews, where we see different forms of government and different languages, that all comes as a result of human distortion and sin. But every nation on the planet is under the loving rule and care of the one creator God and is meant to be part of his one project for the world. But as we read through this table of nations in chapter 10, the astute Bible reader will feel a sense of unease. As you think, yes, here goes humanity being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and subduing it. And you're reading about nations and cities like Nineveh and Babylon and the Philistines. And you know from Sunday school days that they're bad places. That This is like a top ten list of all the places that are in rebellion against God and who are kind of God's staunch enemies. And so what we have here when we get to the the story of the Tower of Babel, which is kind of wedged between two lists of names, is is a picture of, of what humanity is seeking to do in its own project in isolation and, and rebellion against God, to set us up for the comparison between what God will do through his chosen family, through the person of Abraham. So we see this kind of comparison start to get set up. Have a look with me at chapter 10, verse 25, where we read in the line of Shem, one of Noah's sons, that there are two sons of Eber in verse 25 of chapter 10. One was named Peleg and the other was Joktan. And then we don't hear anything more from from Peleg, but we see that from Joktan we follow through to the story of the Tower of Babel. But over in chapter 11, what Becca read for us, we see in verse 18 of chapter 11 that here comes Peleg again, right? And it's from the other son, from Peleg, that will come down and to, 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 to finish with the person of Abram. So we see this comparison happening through this, this one line with two sons, as so often happens in the Bible, Right? Through Joktan we get to the Tower of Babel and we see the nations in isolation from God and in rebellion against God. And then through the other line, through the son of Peleg, we see we come to the person of Abram and we see what will God's project for the nations be. And you're going to have to come back in a couple of years' time when we pick up the story of Abram to see what God's project is. Right? You're going to have to hang in for the long, the long haul. But for tonight, we see this, this project, this, the project of the nations in isolation from God and in rebellion against God, in contrast to what God will do through the person of Abram. Where God says to Abram, I will make a name for you. I will make your name great. I will give you a family. Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And in contrast to what God will do through Abram, we have the story of the Tower of Babel. Have a look with me at chapter 11, verse 1, where we read that the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as people moved eastward, they found a plain in China and they settled there. 
And it kind of sounds like a lovely little house on the prairie kind of scene, right? And you can imagine flowing skirts and fields of wheat and corn and, you know, carriages and everyone's smiling and happy. It's a bit of a we are the world, we are the people. Let's put our arms around each other and sway, right? But it's not this utopian picture of world peace and harmony. Again, as Bible readers, we hear in verse 2 that people are moving eastward and we remember that that's the direction away from God. That it's east out of Eden that Adam and Eve are sent. That when Cain murders his brother Abel, that Cain is sent eastward away from God. Here is the direction of humanity moving again in the opposite direction from God's plans and purposes. And we see again that that's what's happening in the fact that they settle on the plain of Shinar. What was God's command? Not not sit down, not stop and, and just hang out. It was go. Go and fill the earth. Multiply. Be productive and fruitful. And in opposition from God, as they move away from him, humanity says, no. We don't want to be part of God's project of filling the earth and subduing it under his loving rule and care. We're going to stop. We're going to stay. And we're going to set up our own project. And again, with your little uh, Bible spider sense tingling as you read about the plain of Shinar, you know from all your good cross-references and footnotes in your Bible that the plain of Shinar, this is the beginning, it's the beginning of Babylon. That for the rest of the Bible to the very end of Revelation, the city of Babylon will stand as the archetypal enemy of God's plans and purposes. Shaking its fist at all that is good and right and true. That's what we have happening here at the start of chapter 11. Instead of wanting to make God's name great in the world, humanity says we want to make our name great. And that's the claim of verse 4. And just quietly, isn't that the danger that all of us are in? When we think that we can create security and permanence all by ourselves? Isn't that the danger that we're in when we say, no, I'm going to establish my own meaning and my own morality in isolation from God or in defiance of God? To make my name great instead of what God commands of his people is to make his name great in the world. It's foolish to think that you can create permanence and security in this life in isolation from the God who made you and who rules the world and who directs its course and who determines its future. But that's what they say. Have a look at verse 3. So they said to each other, come, let's make bricks 
and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. They said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Uh, This tower that's on view here is kind of a Mesopotamian structure that's called a ziggurat. Right? It's not a structure that you can use for anything. You can't store anything. You can't live in it. It's a solid structure and it kind of has stairs built into it. It's a stepped structure. And the idea is that you create this building to be kind of a stairway to heaven. And it's a stairway to heaven that's meant to operate in both directions. It's seeking to elevate humanity. Let's climb the ladder to heaven, putting ourselves on the level of God. But it's also meant to be a stairway that goes the other way, to bring God down. And so while elevating humanity, it's denigrating God. It's seeking to bring God down to our level, as well as elevating us to God's level. And the way that they stepped the structure, the ziggurat, was kind of to say that if God is coming down to visit us, maybe he'll need a rest on the way. It's a long journey from heaven. So here's some steps he can sit on to have a bit of a rest along the way. What you have here is a very high view of humanity and a very low view of God. And it's when you elevate the the place of humanity, when you elevate our wisdom in isolation from God, our own sinful hearts and desires, when you elevate that, And when you denigrate God, when you bring him down and make him small and weak, and maybe he needs a rest, well, that's when you start to say, well, instead of his plans and purposes that maybe aren't so smart, we should make up our own. And maybe if he kind of needs a rest coming down from heaven that he's not powerful enough to actually fulfil his promises, And so we'll just put them aside. And you start to conveniently cut God out of the picture and to think we can do it all by ourselves and that it's our creativity and it's our productivity and it's our relationships and it's our meaning and it's our morality and we create this thing and we build these structures and we we obscure the horizon that is God and his plans and purposes and all we can see is is this world of our own making, this city, this, this, this attempt at permanence, this attempt at protection, this attempt at provision for ourselves, which we should know is futile and we know is foolish, and yet that's the way our hearts go time and time again. And you see then in verse 5, a piece of biblical comedy at its best, right? Where you see these people saying, let's make a name for ourselves, we're going to build a tower to the heavens. And you see the God of the universe has to kind of stoop down. Cute. Cute tower. I can't quite see it from up here. I'll have to stoop down to see your puny 
and futile attempt at building your own permanence and your own security and a name for yourself in defiance of me. All this is in stark contrast from from what God will do when he says to Abraham, the nomad, with no permanent fixed address, with no palace or brick home but a tent. When God says, go, and I'll give you a place, and I'll give you a name, and through you I'll bless all the nations. The contrast is stark. In the very next chapter that we read in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, we read this about Abraham. It says, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, he obeyed and he went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. It's not permanence. It's not protection. He lived in tents. Why? Well, Abraham trusted God because he looked forward to the city with foundations whose architect and whose builder is God. He looked forward to the city with foundations whose architect and whose builder is God. And that's the challenge for us from Genesis chapter 11, is that to build foundations, to build a city, to build a name, to build permanence and security and provision is not possible in isolation from God. And that he says to us, hold loosely to the things of this world and look forward to the city that is to come, whose architect and whose builder is God. This past week, kids from our church and leaders from our church have been in Katoomba at the CMS Camp Milamani for primary school kids 250 primary school kids being taught about God's plan for the nations, being shown missionary families and being encouraged to grow up praying big prayers as as they get on board with God's project in his world to see a people from every tribe and nation and language gathered to himself united not in their own creativity and their own purpose, but united under Christ and his loving rule and care, united by his death and his resurrection, united by his mission to to proclaim the good news of life and hope in Jesus to the nations. And I think that sitting before us in Genesis chapter 11 is the great challenge of which project we want to be on board with. Building a name for ourselves through our own creativity, our own productivity, our own permanence and security that's futile and foolish in isolation from the God whose world that we live in. 
or God's plan for the nations. That requires us to live loosely in this place as we look forward to the city whose architect and builder is God. Living in such a way in the, in the, the homes that we build and the jobs that we, that we, that we have and the relationships that we enjoy that we so use our creativity and our resources to show in a demonstrable and obvious way that we're holding loosely to the things of this world because we're living for the city that is to come whose architect and whose builder is God. In that same book to the Hebrews, it talks about first century Christians who were so persecuted in the first century and it says, you joyfully, you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you have a better and lasting possession in Jesus. That's the picture of being so committed to God's project and his mission and his name that when the authorities walk into your house and say, we're taking it because you're a Christian, you say, that's fine. I don't need it because I have a better and lasting possession in the city that is to come, whose architect and whose builder is God. When God scatters these people from from the city of Babel, when he says, I'm going to have to do what you wouldn't do in sending you out. He does so in grace to limit the evil that they can produce. And he does so in order that they might see that it's his plans and purposes for the nations that will be achieved. That the unity of this world and the unity of the nations is not in building a name for ourselves, in building our own permanence and our own security, but the unity that God has in mind for every nation of this world is to be united in his Son. Who reconciles all things to himself, making peace through the blood of his cross, as we declared from the book of Colossians. And so when Jesus says to his disciples, go, go and make more disciples of every nation, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, what will we do? Will we start to seek to build to build our own lives, to build tall towers of our own creativity and our own meaning and purpose and obscure the horizon of what God is doing in this world? Or will we hold loosely to the things of this life knowing that we look forward to the city that is to come, whose architect and whose builder is God and so jump on board his project for the nations? to see people gathered by the name of Jesus, that at the name 
that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Will we get on board with that project for the nations? I'm going to pray that we will. How about we pray together? Our Father, we thank you so much that your plan from the very beginning was for all nations to see a people from every tribe and nation and language gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus in the city that is to come whose architect and whose builder is you. So please help us not to get distracted by our own projects, to seek our own purpose and permanence, but to hold loosely to the things of this world that we might demonstrably show that we do look forward to a better and lasting possession in that city and so make disciples of all nations through the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee might bow and every tongue might confess that he is the crucified, risen, reigning and returning Lord of all. Do this in us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.